Welcome to Him for Her Radio, women's hot topics. Ladies, this show is for you. Find clarity, discernment, and discover who you are in Jesus Christ, all while exploring the hot topics of the day. She's an evangelist, founder, and president of Him for Her Ministries, and she's here to tell it like it is. Your host, Suge Burry. What would happen if you say what you want to say? Hey ladies, can you imagine a world where no matter what your past was, you have a place to go and to share and to talk about possibly your thoughts, the dark places, the difficult decisions that you've had to make. My name is Sugbury. This is Him For Her Radio Women's Hot Topics. And today's hot topic is on some of those things that ladies have even hidden They've not wanted to talk to other people about it, and it's on abortion. I've got two wonderful guests with me here today, Bev Canaris and Nancy Piercy. You guys, welcome to our show. Thanks so much, Shug. It's great to be here. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you for having us. Yes. Now, this is part two. We already taped a part one. I hope you guys listen to it. It's on podcasts everywhere. Anywhere you can hear podcasts, that's where you can hear this, throughout the United States. And I want to make sure that you guys understand where we've been, what we've talked about. The first show, we talked about Nancy Piercy's book called Love Thy Body. Bev, can you introduce our guest to the people who are just listening? It would be a privilege. I'm just so grateful for you, Nancy. Nancy Piercy is the author of this recently released book, Love Thy Body, answering hard questions about life and sexuality. Um, Nancy is a uh, professor and scholar in resident at Houston Baptist University, a former agnostic, Piercy has spoken at universities such as Princeton, Stanford, USC, Dartmouth, and she has been highlighted as one of the five top apologists by Christianity Today. So, Nancy, we're so thankful to have you on today, and your your um, writing and this book is so important for today, and so we're grateful that you're on with us. And while I think of it, Nancy, how can people find your books? You have more than this one. Um, I've read several of your books, especially the ones you wrote with Chuck Colson. Um, where can they find your books, and how can they purchase them? Well, I do have a website, nancypiercy.com, and so you can see all the books I've written. And they're all available at Amazon or your local Christian bookstore or any place where you buy, any place you like to shop for books, you're liable to find them. Yes, and it's a good seller, too. Mm -hmm. Well, Nancy, let's get the conversation right off by talking about why you wrote the book. What is your overall thesis in this book, Love Thy Body? The overall thesis is that Christian ethics is based on a high view of the body. That's why it's called Love Thy Body. And many people uh, are confused on this issue because there's an idea that Christianity is otherworldly, right? that we care only about the spiritual realm, and that this world and this life doesn't really matter very much. Um, uh, uh, One of my students put it this way. Growing up in the church, I was always taught body bad, spirit good. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when I use that in my speeches, invariably I get a lot of people nodding their heads and saying, that summarizes uh, the attitude I picked up from the church as well. And so as a result, we, are, we don't have the strength and confidence that we should have when we're talking to secular people, because we have a sense that, well, uh, Christianity has this negative view, um, and if you engage in certain things, you know, the issues I deal with in my book, abortion, euthanasia, homosexuality, transgenderism, we think our only message is negative. Don't do it. It's a sin. It's wrong. And there's something wrong with you. 
And so we come across with just a negative message. So I wanted to equip Christians to, to have a positive message, to realize that the Bible is actually based on a very high view of the body, that your body has meaning and purpose and dignity because it was created by a loving God, and that all of Christian ethics actually expresses this very high view of the body and of God's creation. And then you talked about a two-story philosophy. This is sounding a lot like what uh, was popular years ago called Gnosticism. Exactly. Um, Christians who know a little of their church history know that the early church encountered uh, a view called Gnosticism that also had a very low view of the body. And it's fascinating because, you know, we, in other words, we've been there before. Yes. The early church was uh, born into an ancient Greek and Roman culture that devalued the material world, just like modern secularism does, though for very different reasons. Um, the Gnosticism taught that the, this, this world was the creation of a low-level deity. There were several levels of gods, and there was an evil god who created this world, because this world was the realm of death, decay, and destruction. And so the, it even called the, the body the prison house of the soul, and salvation was about escaping from the body. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians think that way now. They don't realize they're being Gnostic because yes, of the, true. the early church actually was revolutionary because it taught that the material world was the, created by the supreme deity, not a low-level God, the supreme deity and a good deity. And therefore, this world is intrinsically good. But then, and Jesus taking on flesh forever changes that as well, don't you think that is a part of that, too, in our Christianity, that we realize the importance of the body, that Christ would come and take on a body? Absolutely. In fact, that was actually the greatest scandal at the time of the early church, the claim that that same supreme deity who created the world had entered into the realm of matter and taken on a body. So the incarnation is the ultimate affirmation of the dignity of the human body. Oh, and I love that Jesus, statement. I love that statement. I want to ponder that a minute. Yeah. Got that. <laughs> yeah. Right and then uh, he, when he was executed on a Roman cross, we might say he did escape the prison house of the body, as Gnosticism taught we should aspire to do. But what did he do then? He came back. Bodily rose from the dead, bodily, with his body. Bodily, exactly. Amen. Amen. You know, Jesus... uh, Oh, go ahead. And then at the end of time, see, there's more. (laughs) Christianity (laughs) has so much to say about this. Um, At the end of time, God's not going to scrap the material world as if he made a mistake the first time around. He's going to restore it and renew it and create a new heaven and a new earth. So the Apostles' Creed from the beginning has affirmed the resurrection of the body. Mm-hmm. And we have to realize there's nothing like this in any other philosophy or religion. Mm-hmm. It's an astonishingly high view of the physical world. We should be really excited about it when we talk to secular people, because it's not a negative message. It's not, a positive message. Yes. Not at all. Amen. And I loved what you said. Um, columnist Matt Walsh writes, Jesus was himself at one point, an unborn child. And that's the topic of today. If you're just tuning in, my name is Sugbury, him for her radio, Women's Hot Topics. We're talking about the topic of abortion. We have Nancy Piercy on with us who wrote the book, Love Thy Body. This is just one of the many topics in that book. I encourage you guys to pick up, get, read, understand 
Study. (laughs) Yep, study. Whole entire churches in our area are picking this book up and giving it to their staff because it's all about getting the love thing right. It's not about pointing and shaming and letting people feel terrible and bad about their decisions. It's about Christ and getting the love thing right. And, you know, a lot of times women who get abortions say they need abortion in order to be equal with men. And you talk about one of your students who said, why would abortion make me equal? How did you respond to her? I responded to it by saying, it is true that pregnancy influences women more than it does men. Mm-hmm. I mean, this should be obvious, but what it means is that women do sometimes have conflicts between their career and a pregnancy. They do have conflicts between getting high, getting, being, being in college or grad school, um, getting an education and getting pregnant and having children. And I actually made this personal when I when my student asked me that in my class. I said, "Look, when I got pregnant with my first son, I was in seminary, and and I had to drop out, and I felt like I was falling into a black hole mm-hmm. because the only way I knew to advance my own deepest interests was in the realm of academia, in the world of ideas, um, and." Um, I was a perfect match for seminary. I loved studying God's Word more deeply. And it it struck me as decidedly unfair that my husband faced no crisis at all. Mm-hmm. Having a baby was not going to f- affect his life. He was not faced with the possibility of losing his greatest gift and calling, which is how I felt. So I really understand how women um, often feel like they have to make a choice. They're, they're caught between um, the tension of their job or their career or their uh, education. And that is what is motivating so many women. The feminist movement is telling them, no, no, you can't have children. Wait until you get established in your career. Wait until you finish your education. The trouble is the workplace was devised originally in an earlier age where men could function essentially as if they were single because they had wives at home full-time to cook and shop and maintain the home and raise the children. And Mm -hmm. so our workplaces are not really geared to accommodate families, to accommodate men and women who have families. Women who want to have careers essentially have to function as if they were single men. Mm -hmm. And so that makes them petrified of getting pregnant and falling off the career track so this is what we have to understand with, um, you know, in terms of just compassion towards women. They are, they are between a rock and a hard place. Mm-hmm. And we do have to look farther than just individual moral choices. We should also be looking at reforming the, the um, education so that it's more accommodating to parents, both men and women who have children. And can we work on the workplace with more flexible hours, sure. part-time work, prorated, prorated part-time work, uh, home-based work, and so on, so that people, both parents, can do better at at having a um, working their career and their education around having children, having families. 
Absolutely. I think those are all great suggestions. If you're listening out there and you've been blessed to own a corporation or, a uni- or be part of a university, I encourage you guys to really consider and think about these options to help women rise up to be the women God created them to be, that this would not be an option to women, that they would not want to um, host a, an abortion in their own body because they feel that it's going to interrupt too much with their lifestyle. As a matter of fact, I'm going to just take a minute, if I could, and share a powerful testimony that I was able to receive this morning from a woman named Connie. She opened up her heart to me. She really shared from her deepest, most inner heart as she started to share about the fact that she's had three abortions and she was married with each abortion. She had four husbands. And in that story, she shared that it was really no different than just going into a clinic and having a procedure like a tooth pulled. And at that time in her life, She was not in a relationship with Jesus Christ, and she said it was no big deal to her. As a matter of fact, this was part of her um, birth control plan. She wasn't on birth control at the time. And her dear daughter um, said, why not me, Mom? Why did you not abort me? So she had had an abortion. Then she had given birth to this child, and she said, you know, God gave her no desire at that time to have an abortion at all. And she said, God went way out of his way to make sure that she is the one and that God has purpose and plan for this little baby's life. But you know what I think it is, Nancy? I think it is that her husband, that that number two husband out of four, was the one who would not have encouraged an abortion. The other husbands drove her to the abortion clinic so that she could get abortions even after she had had a child. And it wasn't until she... Um, spent a weekend, um, a faith-based weekend, surrendered her life to Christ, bathed in love and felt the forgiveness of Christ, that she realized how precious this life is that God has given to her. And her wisdom that she wants to give to each and every one of the listeners here today is trust in the Lord with all your heart, that the word comes alive when we follow it. Seek to know the truth, not to go on what your feelings are or, oh, I think this is going to ruin my life, but instead turn to Christ in such a powerful way. She says the turning point for her was this is a child, not a fetus. This is a child created by God for God. And so let's talk about men just for a minute, if I could. Thank you, Connie, for sharing your testimony with all of us as well. But I think what is important here is that those husbands just drove her to the clinic. So in your chapter, you talk about man up. Could you share a little bit about that and and the impact men have in women's lives on this topic? Yes, um, certainly the research shows that a large percentage of women who get abortions are pressured by other people. If they're young, it might be their parents. But if they're in a relationship with a man, it's usually the man. And that a large number of women, 50%, of those in one in one study said they were they thought abortion was wrong and they did it anyway mm. because of pressure. Half of women who get abortions think it's, what they're doing is something wrong, but they're caving in to men in their lives. Mm. And I, I, what we have to realize first of all is that men have been taught by by our society that this is okay. The Supreme Court itself rejected the notion that a husband needed to give consent to an abortion in uh, 1976, and then it rejected even notification of the spouse, of the husband, um, 
1992. So the Supreme Court has basically told men, you have no part in this. You cannot have any say. You, you not, no, no consent and not even notification. So even men who want to be in, involved uh, in supporting their wives um, are being told by the state, no, you can't. I have a story in Love Thy Body by one of my students who used to work in a uh, pregnancy center. And she, she, she had several husbands or boyfriends who would come and say, I don't want the abortion, but my wife or my girlfriend does. Mm. What can I do? And the answer is there's nothing they can do. Even though it's their child, too, the, these men had no way to protect their babies. So essentially, the state has helped teach men, you know, you're irrelevant. You have no say in this. And now we're starting to see men who say, okay, then, I'm out. I, have, I, I don't have anything. I don't need to have anything to do with this. There was a recent Wall Street Journal article, and it was urging that we give greater social and economic support to mothers who take time off from work for the sake of their children's well-being. You know, they're under incredible pressure not to take time off you know, that their career is the most important thing. So Wall Street Journal, of all places, you know, the, the, the newspaper of business, business sure. and industry, yeah, said, um, it, 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 uh, said we, we, look, as a society, we have got to acknowledge that women who stay home with their children instead of aborting them and staying in the workplace, that we should give support to them as, as making a genuine contribution to society. And in the comment box, men was saying things like this. One man named William wrote, what happened to my body, my choice? Demanding help because of your choice is hypocrisy. They didn't have to have children if they didn't want to. Wow. And another man, yes. Another man wrote, I thought kids were a woman's choice. You choose to have them, you get to raise and support them. Yeah, mm. th- this has such um, long-reaching consequences. Um, what about the, the man who has fathered a child he all of his parental rights basically have been stripped away from him um, through these laws. So there's no parental rights for him. There's nothing that he can say. And I think that there's probably a lot of wounded men walking around feeling the guilt and the weight of that abortion. Absolutely. And, and that's why you see these bitter responses, too. You know, when having children has been reduced to a woman's lifestyle choice from the Supreme Court down, then, of course, men are going to feel less responsible to be supportive, engaged uh, husbands and fathers. And when, when a husband is not or a boyfriend is not supportive, studies have shown that that tends to be the main factor in whether a woman gets an abortion. A woman who gets an abortion is a woman who's not being supported. How can we educate men, Nancy, to have that high view of the body, of the sacredness of life? Well... <laughs> the same answer to any other question that church has to educate them. The church needs to get on the ball. The church needs to do a whole lot more than just um, Bible studies. It needs to say, look, how can we as Christians be more effective in addressing our culture? The good news is, uh, let me tell you about a recent study. Well, actually, there have been several studies, but the, there's a very large recent one by a Christian sociologist. And he compared, this is a Brad Wilcox at University of Virginia, and a very extensive study in which he compared evangelical Christian men to uh, mainline 
uh, Christians, in other words, theologically liberal, and then to secular men. And he found that evangelical Christian men who actively attend church are much more engaged and loving fathers. Their wives report feeling much more loved and appreciated. And they themselves report being happier than any of the other groups. So he, and this was not a, this was not an evangelical um, person doing the steps of the survey. He was Catholic, so he himself was surprised. <laughs> and but he said, evangelical men are more engaged with their family than any other group in America. That's the good news. That's, but I think that there's the still a gap that really hasn't been addressed yet. Nancy, our time is really ticking down here. What would you say to a woman who is suffering? Uh, with guilt and shame because of a past abortion? I would say get involved with some of the groups that are out there um, that that do exist. Um, I didn't know until I wrote this book that there are some groups. There need to be a lot more, but there are some groups out there who are reaching out to post-abortive women. They understand the kind of uh, issues and depression and other things that women are suffering from. So uh, let me give you some names. There's one called Rachel's Vineyard. Rachel's Vineyard. There's one called Surrendering Surrendering the Secret. And uh, these are just the beginning. Some churches have their own groups. These are national groups. Get in touch with a church that that has a ministry to post a board of women. Let me tell you one story from one of my students. I had a student who was raped by a former boyfriend in her dorm room at a Christian college. Oh, breaks my heart. And then she got pregnant. And her first thought was, my church will shun my family. My whole family is going to be shamed and shunned by the church. She panicked and signed up for an abortion at the first possible date. And she told me, this is her, these are her words, she says, you know, the church has more compassion for a convicted felon, a convicted criminal, than they do for a woman who's had an abortion. And I thought, oh, she's, she's exaggerating. And she said, no, think about it. Lots of churches have prison ministries. Mm-hmm. But how many churches have ministries to women who've had abortions? Mm-hmm. It's far fewer. So again, the church needs to get on top of this issue and start um, creating more ministries to post-abortive women. Amen. I completely agree. In fact, Bev and I were talking about that as well. I went to an event for a mentorship program uh, around the Twin Cities here, and right in the ladies' bathroom, they had a flyer there that said, abortion is not the unforgivable sin. And they have Mm -hmm. a support group for women who have had an abortion, who are regretting that, who are seeing um, in the light of Christ uh, what their decision was in their past. But ladies, there is forgiveness there is um, an opportunity for you to say yes to Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? That means that you surrender your life to him. And right now you can do it with me, ladies. If you have never done this before, if you're carrying the shame, the guilt around with you of a past abortion, or perhaps you've lived in a life of sin, it is not too late. I'm asking you to get on your knees today and say, Jesus, I am a sinner. Forgive me for my sin. Help me to turn toward you and away from my sin. I need you, Jesus. I want and invite you today to come into my life and help me. 
to follow you the rest of my days. Ladies, I want you to know Jesus came and he died for these sins. He rose from the dead. And right now he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father, interceding on your behalf. You know what? He's just waiting for you to say, yes, Jesus, I want you in my life. And you know what happens, ladies? That moment that you say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you to guide you, to comfort you, to counsel you. And not only that, the great news is your sins are forgiven as far as the East is from the West. That sin, that undeniable dark sin that you have been carrying around can now be lifted. And right now today, you can begin to live a new life in Christ. Amen. Tell somebody else, come to our website, himforherministries.org. Let us know that today you said yes to Jesus Christ. And to my guests, Bev Canaris and Nancy Piercy, thank you so much for coming on. You've been such a blessing to us. Please look up Nancy Piercy's book, Love Thy Body. This is Shugbury, Him For Her Radio, Women's Hot Topics. I love you. Over and out. Over and out.